Lloyd asked this question uh, midweek. How many of you have a complete understanding of what it means in that tomb and cross thing? You got it complete. You got it down. You know every single thing about it. Yeah, me either. Okay. We are all in the spot of a developing understanding. We're all in a spot where we need to learn more about this God. And this morning's sermon will be about that. But And because it's Easter, we're going to deal with the tomb just a little bit. But before we get to the risen Lord and what that means in us, I need us to get to this spot where we understand where the disciples were at. And so I'm going to read Luke 24, 1 through 10. My Bible is not loading properly. That is a first world problem. Can you hand me a red Bible? It is not the worst thing in the world to have happen. So Luke 24, which is in your Red Pew Bibles on page 85 of the New Testament. By the way, that's, that's a funky, weird thing of churches that this would be page 85 after this. <laughs> but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone pulled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. And while they were there, they were perplexed about this. Way in the back. They were perplexed. Have you ever been confused? You, you heard something about Jesus or something about something else, and you just, you went in there, and the first thought in your mind was, hmm, that is strange. I don't get it. I want you to be able to be able to sit in that moment for a second because that's what it means to be human is to not understand something. To not have a full understanding, to have this idea. But we think of the apostles or the or the disciples as slightly different than us that maybe they had an inside track to knowledge and all this that they had spent 3 years with Jesus, but on Sunday morning All of the believers or the disciples or the ladies were doing one of two things. They were hiding, hoping to not be found out as one of the followers of Jesus. Or they were on the way to the tomb to anoint him with spices because he was dead. And that's what they did in their culture. Now, they were mourning, but they were hiding. The disciples, the strongest ones, the ones that changed the world in Jesus' name with his help and strength were hiding, perplexed. They didn't get it. They'd spent three years with him, and they didn't get it. Not only that, they didn't even remember that he said that he was going to die and be dead for three days, and on the third day he'd rise again. The only person... I want to tell you this, the only people that believed that and heard that were the priests, and what they did is they went to Pontius Pilate and said, 
let's seal the tomb and get a big guard because they're going to come steal the body and then they'll say he did it. But the disciples didn't hear that and they didn't understand what it meant if they did hear it. And they were confused, just like these ladies. They were confused, perplexed. And behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember this spot where God sort of reaches into our life, into our perplexity, into our confusion, into our spots where we don't know what's going on, and says, Remember what he said in Galilee that he would, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to the apostles as an idle tale. So not only have they heard from Jesus, they now have witnesses on Easter morning saying, this has happened. And they're going, huh, I don't get it. Now, if you were an apostle, you came with certain preconceived ideas about what the Messiah should be. Let's say you were the zealot because one of them was a zealot. Well, the zealots were essentially what we would characterize today as terrorists trying to make sure that Rome would lose its grip on Jerusalem and beyond, and pretty soon maybe we could just overthrow the whole Roman Empire. That's what the zealots wanted. And so when they came to Jesus, what did they come to Jesus for? They came to Jesus for Rome to be thrown off. They thought he was the one that was going to lead the charge and everything. But maybe you're Matthew, the tax collector, and you're on the outs in your community and nobody really accepts you, and you come to Jesus and you're looking for restoration. You're looking to fit into the kingdom of God. You're looking to do all that, but now you're hiding. Or maybe you're the women at the tomb. You're the women who finally had a public advocate for them, fighting for them again in the public sector, talking about how women were actually valuable and all that, but now he's been killed. There was a lady in a previous church that she lived on the road to the cemetery in Pine City. And she would say it this way. I live on the road to the cemetery, but don't we all? We're on the way. At the tomb this morning, I want you to understand that they come to the tomb and all their ideas of who God is and should be and who they want him to be and who they thought he was, that they're coming to the tomb and they're mourning and all those human ideas, those phantoms, those shadows of who God should be, they're gone. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was their hope, and hope 
died on Friday night. We all have to come to the tomb with these ideas. The reason isn't that Jesus isn't willing to do some of the things that we think he is. He's just bigger than anything we can imagine in our human ideas. Our human ideas are just not big enough. And we need to leave those ideas. We need to submit not just our hearts not just our hands to God's will, but we need to submit our brains to God's work. It's why in John 1.18, John says this, no one has seen God at any time except for this God who is the word that was with him in the beginning. He has come to explain him to us. But you but I just want to enter into the experience of what I know as most people. You read this book, and you come out of it, and you go, huh? Am I wrong? Have any of you ever read this and said, I don't get it? It's because we are living on this side of the tomb, and he's on that side of the tomb. but I'm so grateful the story doesn't end here, aren't you? You don't sit here stumbling around going, I'm just confused and it's beyond belief and all these things. I want to read you some more stuff. Here it is, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him at the moment. I want to say this, that sometimes Jesus is walking with you and working in your life, and you don't recognize him until later. You look back and go, well, it didn't seem like Jesus, but it worked like Jesus. Must have been Jesus. You know the old test for kids? Touch feels like it, must might be, tastes like it should be, looks like it is, right? You got to do all those things. If you were a six-month-old, you experienced the whole world through your mouth. Later on, you experience it in more ways. And he said to them, what is this conversation on which you're holding with each other as you walk? And as they stood looking at him, and they said, The one named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And they told him, What things? And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him and condemned him to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Do you hear that? Those are human hopes dashed at the tomb. But 
Yes, and beside all this, now it's the third day. And moreover, some of the company has amazed us, and they were at the tomb this morning, and they did not find the body, and they came back, and they said that they had seen a vision of angels who said they were alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said. And he said to them, this is Jesus. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them for them, the scriptures. And as they drew near the village, they were going on. He appeared to be going further and they constrained him saying, stay with us for his evening and it's time and, and the day is spent. And so he went in and when he sat at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him in communion. But this is the line I want to get with. After he was gone, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road and when he opened our minds to the scriptures? How do you get from this moment where you're at the tomb and you're mourning and you're perplexed and you're confused and you don't get it, how do you get to a heart on fire? Well, it's a little different road for each of us. Some of us walk with Jesus right out of that morning and straight in and others of us say, I I have to deal with this on my own and we don't listen and we don't walk with him at that time. But later on he comes and he walks and we don't really recognize him in the beginning because he looks like our neighbor, Bob or Sue. And they talk with us and there's something in them that's a little different and we don't get it. And they ask us questions because they care about our lives and we talk to them and they talk to us and our hearts start to come alive with this so that you would know this and those of who've been here a while I would call it this way you have now been infected with the gospel it is about to take hold of your life and start to push that dead self out and start to do it but the first thing that happens is your heart starts to walk and be on fire because you start to give up your own visions of who God ought to be and you let him be who he is That's not an easy task. I've been to seminary. I've got lots of ideas about who Jesus is and and who he isn't and all that. And some of them are really good, but all of them are incomplete because it's impossible to know all of what God is doing and who he is for us and how he's moving in our lives and what he's going to do ahead of time. And And he sees the whole thing, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways, and he's different than we expected. But it's not so hard sometimes when you and me, when we're faced with something and we gaze into it and we recognize that Jesus is more than we thought he was, that's not so hard. What's hard is when we begin to let and talk and let God have his way with those nearby, those we love, our kids, our parents, our siblings. Because God is bigger than our hopes and dreams for them too. 
not bigger as in he doesn't care, but bigger because he's involved and cares so deeply that he sent Jesus here to do something we couldn't do for ourselves, which was pay a price as a sin offering so that we might be healed. It's both things. We need a sin offering. We need to be white as snow, but we can't get there. And we need a teacher to tell us who God is, and we need to submit and come to the tomb this morning. And so my question is this for you. Are you willing to look at the things you're holding up and saying, look at all the best things I've got, God, for you, and recognize that they're like rags and straps of cloth as he is in burnished white clothing and pure light and all that? And he goes, yes. That is what you've got. I love that you've come to me. Let me transform you. Not just what you do with your hands, not just how your heart works, but how your mind works and how you begin to understand who Jesus is. And I'm going to open up your mind to a better understanding because none of us have seen God at any time except the one and only Son who's come to explain him to us. And in the midst of this conversation you're having with God for this Easter, as you begin to do this, let us not forget that we don't seek the living among the dead. We don't seek Jesus on this side of the tomb. We seek him on the other side because That's where he is. And all our little ideas get changed. And it's okay because we all have a developing faith. I feel so privileged this morning. I, I got this clear statement of faith from little Apple. Did you get that? Why have you come today? Because I love Jesus. May we all enter in to this relationship, this walking along the road, wherever your road happens to be, however many potholes it happens to be. Maybe it's my wife's work road, which is washed out, and there's a, and there's a primitive gravel road that the semis can't go on. Maybe that's your road. But he's walking on that road with you. May your hearts burn within you while you walk along that road with him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to speak life, to have my heart burn within me. Thank you for walking with me. Thank you for the way you walk with each of these. Help them submit to you this day. In your precious name, amen.